Hi, I'm Aaron Ironside. Welcome to Active Intelligence, where we spend the next half an hour or so looking at social issues from a variety of perspectives. But let me start with the most important question of the day. Why did the chicken cross the road? I don't know. Well, one thing I do know is that the answer probably isn't that funny. Yet dad jokes aren't that funny, but we live in a world that's more concerned about the kinds of jokes that make people feel very upset. Could it be that those jokes should be considered hate speech? Doesn't sound very funny to me as we take a look at that topic on today's episode. On today's episode, I catch up with one of the funniest men in Kiwi comedy, Brendan Lovegrove, as we talk about whether or not a joke should be considered a hate crime. Is it, in fact, hate speech? It seems ridiculous, doesn't it, that something intended to make us chuckle could actually land you in jail. And if you think that I'm just talking hyperbolically, that this could never really happen in the real world, well, let's go to Scotland, where they've actually put in place some hate speech laws, and one boyfriend, well, he found himself on the wrong side of the law. A Scottish court has just delivered a very clear message against hate speech and anti-Semitism. A man has just been convicted of a hate crime for teaching his girlfriend's dog how to perform a Nazi salute. Worst of all, the man actually filmed himself doing it and then uploaded it to YouTube, where the video immediately went viral. 29-year-old Mark Meachin can be seen in the video saying, quote, My girlfriend is always ranting and raving about how cute and adorable her wee dog is, so I thought I would turn him into the least cute thing I could think of, which is a Nazi. This sets a very disturbing stage for the rest of the video, which has since been pulled off of the web by YouTube, in which the dog responds with a Nazi salute in response to Heal Hitler and commands to gas the Jews. Meachin claims he had no political motives behind this behavior and merely meant to annoy his girlfriend, but a Scottish judge has ruled that Meachin not only knew this was offensive, but also knew why it was offensive, and thus would have known that it would have been hurtful to many Jewish people. While freedom of expression was at play here, the court found Meachin guilty of a hate crime. Well, I think it's pretty clear that it wasn't a very funny joke, and certainly we could see that it would be offensive. But the question is, should offense be a crime? given how easy it is to be offended in the world in which we live. And it turns out the most famous comics in the world tend to agree that a joke should not be a hate crime, even if it is a little bit offensive, as Ricky Gervais explains. Yeah, well, that, that's the thing about offence, isn't it? When people yeah. say they're offended, it's that, just because you're offended, it doesn't mean you're right, you know? It's... Offence is about feelings, and feelings are personal. Some people are offended by equality. So what? You know, so you can't second-guess people. If you try and please everyone, you'll please no-one. Mm. With comedy as well, you've got to... I think you've got to deal with taboos and contentious issues, and sometimes you deal in irony, and some people don't get that, but, you know, you can't legislate against stupidity, otherwise you'll be doing nothing. So <laughs> if you're saying anything... <laughs> you're, you, you should polarise. You should polarise, because everyone's different. Well, it's not too often that I agree with Ricky Gervais, but on this point, of course, he's absolutely correct that offence is so subjective, both in terms of what offends us, but also subjective in how intensely it offends us. I mean, I hear things all the time that I just shrug my shoulders and think, well, that's stupid. But that doesn't mean that I'm so violently offended that I feel that that person 
should in fact be arrested for saying such a thing. It's such an odd world in which we live that now a joke could be considered a crime. And on today's episode, I caught up with a man who's probably committed a few crimes over the years, according to that definition, Brendan Lovegrove. We've known each other for over 25 years, although I can't say my comedy career uh, is anywhere near as illustrious as today's guest. He has won multiple awards. He is an icon of the local comedy scene. Brendan Lovegrove, nice to have you. Thank you. It's a really nice way to be introduced. Thank you. Uh, I would, I'd see myself as being forgotten somewhat over the last few years, but um, but I appreciate what you're saying. It's very, that's very kind. After over 25 years as a comedian, what what would you have done if it hadn't worked out? What what was Plan B? Well, that, funny enough, I have a joke about that because um, I, I I have no plan B. It's, I'm 49. It's too late to start a band. You know, I can't go to university. I was going to go to university when I was 19, but I thought before I do that, I'll have a gap life. And that's pretty much what I'm doing at the moment, having that gap life. And uh, I'm coming to the end of it, I would imagine. But um, no, it's I don't know. I've, I've often thought about that. Um I don't know what I would have done had I not done comedy 25 years ago, but I think now if all of a sudden it came to a grinding halt, I, I'm quite interested in producing stuff and, and things like that. But, yes, I, I, I think if I would have stayed at university and, and got, a, got a BA. Woohoo! <laughs> nice. Now, I know that when you and I were starting out in comedy all those years ago, there was this little adage that comedians started their jokes below the waist and worked their way up. And it did kind of seem that way, that novice comedians tended to tell dirtier jokes, smuttier jokes. Uh, why is that? What, why do comedians often start below the waist? Uh, well, you know what? Uh, I had a lot of jokes back in the day that people that, that were pretty rude, pretty crude for sure. Um, I think it's probably the a place where your mind finds the easiest place to go where you think the audience will probably laugh. Um, later on, I think comics aren't so worried about uh, what, what the audience is thinking so much more about the what they're doing because they're, you know, once you're more established and you're pretty confident about what you're doing, you're more interested in um, uh, what what you can achieve for you, regardless of the audience. Uh, whereas I think when you start out, you're probably a bit nervous and you think, oh, well, I'll, I think these sort of jokes will get the audience going and you want to get laughs and you don't know what's going to get laughs or what isn't. So I think people tend to go in that direction early on. Yeah, let's talk about kind of the shocking nature of comedy. It does seem that there's an entire category of joke that essentially is somebody saying out loud things you're not supposed to say out loud. Now, those aren't necessarily those below the waist jokes, but they are absolutely shocking things that technically shouldn't be funny. Why do we find those things funny? Well, I think you, I think we, we until recently, we've been able to say or people have just been saying the sort of things that a lot of people are thinking but, but perhaps can't quite communicate to a group of people in a funny sort of a manner um i think i think the thing about comics uh, is that you know the, the first thing a comedian does is they get up on stage you know but that's what really separates them from everybody else um and i don't i, I don't i i think we I don't think we had in the past a real sense of right and wrong in terms. I think there was a real freedom of thought and freedom of expression and freedom of um, uh, uh, comic expression. And I also don't think the audience so much uh, at back in the day had that real 
um, moral incentive to look at what was being said and, uh, you know, act, ac- act accordingly to the times. I think that back then it was genuinely, uh, you know, pe- people were into risk and people liked watching risque comics. And, people li- and, I, and I would say that now you'd still get a, an audience who want to see quite endearing humor, well, not endearing, um, risky humor, even crude or even um, controversial humor. I think there's a real market out there for that, whether or not they're being exposed to it is another question, but there'll always be there'll always be an audience who like comics who who have a real um, uh, fearless attitude towards comedy. It's interesting you talk about the changing times. I don't know if you remember this, but I remember that uh, Sir Howard Morrison got in a lot of trouble later in his career because he uh, started doing jokes that, in a sense, would have been funny to an audience of his peers 20 years earlier. In particular, I think he was mocking someone with a Japanese accent, and yet it felt completely flat, as if sort of the culture had said, that's not funny anymore. We don't poke fun at Asian people for the way they speak anymore. How do comedians keep up with this kind of stuff? I mean, how do you know well, when well, you know, it's, it's done here's, the, here's the weird thing about that. Okay, so my my father, I lived in Hong Kong for a while and my father remarried a Chinese lady and so I can speak a little bit of Cantonese. And, and I remember about two and a half years ago, I was in the classic and I asked the lady where she was from. She said originally Hong Kong. And I just started speaking to her in Cantonese because I know that the Hong Kong Chinese speak uh, mainly uh, Cantonese as opposed to ch- ch- the Chinese mainlanders who mostly speak Mandarin as opposed to the south of China. So when I started speaking to this lady in, in, in Cantonese, this lady from uh, her, uh, over the other side of the room stood up and went, you are, a, you are a racist, this is racist and I'm leaving. And the lady who I was talking to in Cantonese said, how is this racist? He's speaking to me in my actual, in, in, in Cantonese. He's actually speaking to me in my national tongue. It was exactly the same as if I'd met a Māori person in the crowd and I'd spoken to them in Māori and someone had not known I was speaking Māori and accused me of being racist. So firstly, you've got that. That's what makes it interesting. But the real go-to is that if you do anything about Asia or Asians, then there's that immediate, that, that sort of default that people go to where they go, this must immediately be racist. He's talking to a, a a person of, of Asian ethnicity, so therefore it must be racist. When of course it's absolutely not. So you are you are dealing with situations sometimes which we are by by default just immediately accusing someone of being something that perhaps they're not. And also sometimes they are. You know, I'm I'm, I'm a big I'm a big fan of accents, but I don't do many cultural accents, culturally different accents than than anything that's white. So. African, English, um, Scottish, and I think I'm quite good at all of them. But I won't do Chinese and I won't do Indian anymore because people just get upset. Yeah. And the, the the there is a couple of ways to look at that. Firstly, I don't want to upset anybody anymore. I'm too old and I want to win some cash and I want to do corporates. But there's another way to look at it, I think, as a, as a human being, and it's that if you're simply going by the accent and you're listening to somebody who's doing white a, a series of white Western world accents, and then all of a sudden you become you immediately have a negative connotation about an ac- accent outside that ethnicity. I think that that's a real problem. I think that if you simply hear a different accent, that it might be an Asian accent or um, a Maori accent, then you're immediately 
you're immediately um, paralleling that with something that's negative. And I think we've got to really look at that because I don't see anything negative about an Asian accent or a Maori accent. I think they're beautiful accents. Um, that's the way they speak, and, 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 and that's fantastic. Why do we have... Um, why do we have a negative connotation about the way that somebody else sounds? I think that having that negative connotation of pointing the finger about it and going, that's what you're actually looking at and going, oh, there is something wrong with that. No, there's not. It's not anything wrong with their accents at all. Their accents are beautiful. That's the way that they speak. And even if they're speaking English with that accent, um, I personally don't have a problem with them. That's just me. But other people do. Okay, so I, I don't do those because I don't want to upset anybody. But, um, you know, having lived with a Chinese stepmom for uh, uh, quite a long time, um, I constantly, and talking to her in, in Cantonese, you know, the way that she speaks to me, sometimes I'll speak to her in her own accent so she understands it more like she would understand sort of a European talking at, at uh, her kind of Chinese-European way, if that makes any sense. Um, but I have so much, I've had so much to do with Asia. I find the whole Asian thing a little bit interesting because I'll do material in Asia, Singapore, Malaysia, Cambodia, um, uh, and, and other Asian countries where I'll do some material about, about where I am in the world. And they love it. And they think I've done my homework, come to New Zealand, do the same material. Someone will point the finger and call me a racist. So, you know, you've got to you've got to know what you, you where you are and what you're saying. But I, I I would say, and this is only in some cases. But when you're doing material in Asia, and you come back with that material, and people are and are calling you a racist, I, I think that's a problem. I think that's a, a real problem. It's not for it's not for you know. I, I but there's also there is there is a line that can't be crossed. I understand that too, and that's mimicking and and and, and that kind of thing. And and for me, that's sort of hack, and it's not true comedy. It's not clever comedy. But I don't think accents is something that people should really be so upset about. But they will continue to be, I'm sure. Well, of course, now we're talking about this idea of offence going to the next mm -hmm. level, and that is that now those who are intending to be funny, comedians uh, around the world where countries are developing hate speech uh, legislation are aware that jokes are now being recategorized as hate speech, which at one level seems like an anathema because the point of a joke is the opposite of hate. It's to make one laugh, it's to bring joy. How could a joke be hate speech? Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I've got to be honest, in the last sort of four, five, six years, I've, I've changed the way that I think about comedy and do it. Um, for example, I I won't do anything that I think might, and, and, and even in saying this, it still does every now and again, but I think that's you could say this about any comic. Um, but I'm, I am trying to avoid saying anything that will really upset anybody or especially quite obviously upset them. That's not what I'm trying to achieve. I'm trying to do the comedy thing where I want people to have a good time and I want large groups of people to have a good time. I'm 49. I don't feel I've got anything uh, uh, fantastically original um, to say to society as a person about, hey, I'm, I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a out there on the edge sort of a comedian. I don't really want to say that anymore. I just want to write really good comedy and really good jokes and give everybody a really good time. And saying that, you, you still can sometimes tread uh, into a place where some people might be upset, but that's but that's been less and less of my intention as time's gone on, and I found that I'm getting um, far less uh, 
negative kind of feedback about my material. Well, I can't speak much for the, the international scene because I haven't been doing it for a while. Um, when, when I was doing it, especially when I was in London and the or and the Europe uh, the the UK comedy circuit, I know that there was a real freedom with what you what what you could do. And now I understand. And hearing from um, a lot of the comics who come over now, it is a lot more of a safe space environment for the audience, and, and I guess some, of, and, and I guess the acts. But in New Zealand, when it comes to hate speech, you'd, I would definitely have seen some comics who, on open mic nights especially, have hit it from an angle that's just so. I don't find that people get so upset by it in New Zealand anymore as they just start talking and they go, okay, this is so ridiculous. We're not even going to boo here. We're just going to not listen. And, 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 and I quite like that where the audience has gone, yeah, okay, fine. You're going to talk about, you know, you, you, you're going to fat shame. It's all going to be about Māori. Um, and, and every now and again, you do see that. Not a lot though, not a lot. But when you see it happen and that's all they're doing, you can't even work. You can't even really work to help them because you realise that their their whole comedy act is simply based around that. Now, you know, I mean, people who who dislike me from the past will go, but all your stuff is this and that. Well, it, it's not, and it wasn't. I actually did very very little that was um, there to offend. It's just when I did, it was regarded as very controversial. Now I would say that I, I specifically write about subjects which are even for me just difficult to to write about um, and take on the challenge of trying to be a, a, a smarter and better comedian. Um, I think that if you're getting on it, I think that if you get on stage and you don't realise there are some things you just can't talk about and comedy is probably not for you. But in saying that you don't see it a lot, it does happen. Um, people also freak out and they go, now how do we stop this person from doing that? Well, what you do is, is they, you, they walk off stage and you go, hey, listen, if you continue to do that particular gag, I just can't book you anymore. So you don't have to cancel them as people. You don't have to cancel them even as an act. You just say, hey, if you do that particular joke, there's nothing that we can do to help you in terms of your progression as a comic. Um, and, and I think that that is enough for them to understand that if they want to do comedy, then they have to do, stop doing a certain um, uh, type of material, especially people are only doing that type of material because it, it's a bad habit to get in comically anyway. Uh, I'm wondering if what you think about the idea of whether we've become too easy to offend, because on the one hand, you know, earlier today we were talking about uh, racist jokes or, or, or perceived racist jokes, and they might offend people potentially with a more left-leaning sort of political bias. And on the other side, I can equally hear people from a faith community feeling like, oh, Christians get targeted and all these jokes, you know, the, sure. the comics are mean. It's kind of like everybody seems so sensitive about something. Well, I, I I certainly um didn't used to I, I didn't I, I used to think that we were far too sensitive about things, and I used to be one of the comics that went, oh, this political this this PC thing's gone too far. I used to be like that five six years ago. Um, the thing that really changed it for me was was when I actually. Um, saw some of my friends who were comedians, particularly from the gay community at first, who were being treated appallingly. Um, I had a, a flatmate who I saw being treated very badly on, on a, a number of occasions, and uh, and, it, and and also when I was at gigs, and some of the the, the the audience members were using words that were inappropriate and made them feel very belittling kind of um, language towards them. So when I think that really changed me, and also um, in terms of uh, women in the industry um 
you know, we had quite a, we had a, a couple of young girls who had a problem getting home some nights after the gigs with someone getting off a bus and following them home. And, and you realise that, you know, when you're making a joke about something that could uh, directly be be um, paralleled with one of their experiences, I just don't want to do that, you know. You know and if someone wants to do it, okay, okay. And I'm not – it's funny because if, if it's a good joke, even, even, I, I don't know many comics who wouldn't go, okay, Okay, and, I'm, and even the PC, even what the, the PC brigade, whatever you, you're describing there, they're good comics, and they're um, I mean, we've got a, obviously the, the, a lot of the comics in New Zealand comedy uh, uh, um, community are, are quite left, and but they're very good comics, and it hasn't stagnated them being really funny comics. I mean, you know, some of the biggest names in New Zealand, especially coming up, uh, your Mel Bracewells and your and and your uh, your Pax Acides and. You know, they're very conscientious left comics, but they're, they're also blooming good. Um, so I think it's been, I think it's actually quite a good thing for a comic to have had some some level of PC because it's made the comic think more about what they're doing and what they're trying to achieve and, you know, genuinely entertaining with really good jokes. And I do believe that comedy is infinite. So if you, even if you were to take out a couple of subjects that you know are just going to really upset people, you're still infinite in what you can do and what you can achieve without having to go somewhere which might really upset people, which I have done in the past. And I know I've upset people, and I don't want to do that anymore. That's my choice. I don't know if, if there's still really risky comics out there who, who still want to push that sort of narrative. And uh, personally, I, I like doing as clever a gag as possible about whatever I can think of and find interesting and, um, you know, anything about race and gender these days. It's just not something I want to talk about. Look, to finish today, it's really interesting because you, of course, have... I go on, eh? I'm a, I go on. It's good? this lockdown, I tell you. Uh, you. You've made some conscious choices to not put your career on the line over a joke, so you've decided to play within certain parameters, and that's perfectly understandable because in that regard, you've never really been that kind of George Carlin-esque type of comedian trying to address social issues and get people to think more uh, deeply about things. But do you fear that in a world where we're so offended and easily offended that there, there might be some comics who in another era might have really got us thinking who will just feel like it's just not worth the hassle. Well, I, and, and, and you, you could well be right. I mean, um, you know, sometimes I, uh, you know, I think about what, what I do want to say and those real social, uh, I mean, George Carlin's a real exception to the role because he was so good at it. I mean, so good at it. There's, you know, there aren't many George Carlin's out there. In fact, there aren't any other ones. But, um, you know, it, it's, I, I like that sort of thing, but I, and I like that kind of humour. But I also think you can do that within the realms of, of PC and, um, you know, look at somebody like, and I'm not actually but always a fan of his politics, um, but I love his shows, and that's Nish Kumar, you know, who's the most left comic I've ever seen, but he's very much pu pushing uh, his ideas on people, and and I, and I really enjoy his shows so, because I go, oh, I, I, did, I, I don't agree with you, but that's a very funny joke. And uh, you, you don't get a lot of centrists to write sort of comics. I think that those people are genuinely found, uh, I think they probably have a bit of a tough time because the, there isn't much of a centre or centre-right sort of narrative even in the world these days, let alone in comedy. But I'm, I'm sure if you want to go that way, as long as you're not being outwardly rude or, or, or you know, I think those people who are offending are trying to. Yeah. 
Right. And, Does that make sense? And and that's probably where we could understand how that's getting closer to why hate speech legislation wants to kind of attack that. But I'm interested that you haven't given what I would have thought would have been the most obvious defense of the comic, which is simply my motive is not to harm. So why are you misconstruing my words? Well, 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 the thing is that, you know, even in a place of safety in my mind where I go, I'm going to do comedy like that, you're still always taking the risk. And the thing about doing comedy, which is, is a little bit scary for the comic, is that it is live. So every now and again, you know, you say something and it, it's just been said. It was there. You can't edit it. It's been said. It's done now. And, you know, when you are live and things aren't going great or they're not or you're wanting them to get better or you're in a thing, sometimes you make the wrong decision. You can say something that like you like at a dinner table when you're around family and, and when you're 14, it's your first ever time with your girlfriend's family and you say the most ridiculous thing and you ruin the night completely and you, and you remember it for the rest of your life. Exactly the same with a comic because you are live and, and, and that can happen. I think there's a fear in that, but I've never really seen an audience go or, or had the kind of complaints where it would be a problem yet. Um, and I just don't think that if there were any comics who were doing the sort of comedy that would be considered hate speech um, by even even centre sort of politi- political centrists, um, I just don't think they'd be in the industry long enough to be able to really offend because I think very quickly they'd be, they'd be told that anything... Well, well, hold on. Before I go there, though, I think there is also... We've got to make sure we don't go to a place where I don't like... I hate what you're saying. I hate your opinion. Therefore, it's hate speech. You know, we can't we can't be in a place where we go. I disagree with his opinion. Therefore, I disagree with this comedy. Therefore, I agree with him or her. I disagree with him or her. And I think it's hate speech because I hate what they're talking about. I think we have to we have to sort of make it very clear what isn't isn't hate speech. Um, you know, there's a lot of people's opinions I don't agree with. But and and even if I hate their opinion, I don't find what they said hate speech. I just don't particularly like what they said, and I think that's fair to do that. But I, but, but, but I don't know who draws up those rules, and I wouldn't want to be the person who did. Well, it appears that Brendan Lovegrove agrees that a joke should not be a crime. This is going to be an impossible world to live in because how do you define hate speech? In fact, those who've brought in those laws have struggled with this very question, including right here in New Zealand, where a precise definition of hate speech is all but impossible to come up with. And let's be honest, we deserve to know exactly what is a crime so that we don't commit it. I know that if I'm driving 60 in a 50k zone that I've committed a crime. But hate speech turns out to be one of those laws that you only know you've broken it if the judge says you've broken it, but you didn't know you broke it, you just thought you were trying to be funny. We just need to learn to take a bit of a chill pill in this culture that seems so allergic to offence, so allergic to feeling uncomfortable. For the most part, that's all these things do, is make us feel a way we don't like to feel. But I'm sorry, we can't live in a world that promises that you'll never have to feel a certain way. Well, you can't have an episode about humour without having a little bit of humour, so we'll finish in a moment with a bit of stand-up comedy on offence by Aussie comedian Steve Hughes. But that's enough from me today. If you enjoyed the programme, we'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch, activeintelligence.nz. But let's finish now with Aussie comedian Steve Hughes. Because nothing even happens if you do get offended. It's not like you go, I went to the comedy show and the comedian said something about the Lord, yes. 
and I was offended. And when I woke up in the morning, I had cancer. This doesn't happen. <laughs> Nothing happens. Don't let it infect you, your heads. It's a trick, the great trick of political correctness. Acting like it's a noble intention, but it's not. It's taking away your power. You can't make it an offence to offend people. What are you talking about? You make it an offence to offend someone. That brings the rule of law into the realm of the subjective. What's that? It's up to you how you get offended. Up to your ideologies and your traditions and your cultures and your moral conditioning and your religious beliefs. And something that offends me may not offend a single one of you on any level. So how do you have a law that has any kind of rationality and validity with that kind of thinking? I'm offended when I see boy bands. <laughs> Where's my lawyer? What am I gonna do, call the cops? Hello, it's me again. Yeah, they're on the telly. There's five of them this time. <laughs>